Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by General Assembly's NYC Campus. GA empowers individuals to pursue the work they love by offering courses in coding, design, digital marketing, data analytics, and so much more. Head to ga.co slash classes and get 30% off your first class with code BOSSEDUP. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up, the podcast, episode 18. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, where I love to help women craft happy, healthy, and sustainable career paths. Now, first, I want to give a belated shout out to all of the boss mamas listening to today's podcast. Happy Mother's Day. I know Mother's Day just passed this past weekend. I hope it was a day for you to kick back, relax, and take stock of what a boss mama you truly are. Now, I am no mother myself, but I know from years of working with women at Boston Boot Camp and seeing how challenging it is to navigate a career transition for anybody, it is way more challenging to navigate a career transition when you are already a parent, and specifically in this world when you are a mother. Moms navigating career transitions have to decide whether or not to, I don't know, mention the kids while you're in the interview, how to delicately ask about things like parental leave policies when weighing a job opportunity, or even with your existing supervisor who, frankly, you don't want them up in your business, but when you're personal life is about to seriously impact your professional life, feels like there's no perfect way to go about having those tough conversations. Basically, the minute you become a mother, all things related to your career can be a little more complicated. And that's even before we layer on the systemic bias and pay discrimination that moms still face in our workplace. So today we're giving the boss mamas in our midst a shout out and tackling just one of the many career considerations that mothers have to face. And that is, how do you bounce back after taking time off in your career to be a full-time caregiver? How do you bounce back after a baby break? Let's hear straight from a mom who's navigating this very situation in today's listener-submitted career conundrum. Hi, Emily. This is Leslie in New York City. Here's my career conundrum. I recently left a position I didn't feel aligned well with my longer-term career goals to have a baby, and now I'm looking to jump back into the workforce. I'd like to hear how others used their past experiences to find a position they felt they were well-qualified for but challenged to grow in their careers. How do I make that move with a partner and a kid to the next great opportunity? 
All right. This is a tricky question and one I am so glad you asked. So thank you for calling in with your career conundrum. And here to break down today's career conundrum with me is Georgine Huang, the CEO and co-founder of Fairy God Boss, a marketplace where professional women looking for jobs, career advice, and the inside scoop on companies can meet employers who believe in gender equality. Previously, she ran the enterprise business at Dow Jones and was a managing director at Bloomberg Ventures, someone who certainly knows a thing or two about navigating the workplace as you're navigating changes in your own parental status. Georgine, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I guess my first question for you is, what's your initial take on this listener's career conundrum? Well, a lot of people assume that when you're starting a family that you want to take a step back in your career or have a career that accommodates the sort of work-life balance you want. And so I guess Leslie's question sort of belies that assumption, and I assume that's why she told us that she's starting a family. However, I just want to make it very clear that it's often a problem when women have that assumption made for them because you don't ever want to be in a situation as a woman where people, your manager or coworkers think that you're less committed to your job simply because you're having a baby or starting a family. That said, it's perfectly natural and normal to want a career change at that point in time to find better work-life balance. And in these cases, I think it's very important to understand the culture and the policies and programs of the companies that you're interviewing with when you are looking for a new job. And how does Fairy Godboss help women uncover where they can find flexibility, right? That was a big initiative of yours last year. Is that right? Well, we try to help women understand what it's really like to work somewhere. So many of the policies and cultural aspects as they pertain to flexibility just are not very transparent. Mm. People don't publish working hours on their websites. They, they will show pictures of football tables and office parties in the best case scenarios, but you don't really know what sort of face time versus flexibility there is. And it's a very difficult question to ask about. So women in our community basically share this information with each other in the form of job reviews that are free and anonymous. And we ask every woman who reviews her employer to rank her flexibility at, at, at work on a scale of one to five. And we also ask about what sort of policies and programs and hours contribute, if at all, to work-life balance. Awesome. And it sounds to me like the biggest, scariest part of Leslie's situation is the fact that she's going to be interviewing for new jobs that she wants to consider based off of whether it fits her particular career ambitions and fits her particular needs as a new parent. And it sounds to me like you've had a few experiences that inspired Fairy Godboss that pertain to interviewing unexpectedly, maybe at a time in your life when you weren't exactly planning on that. Can you tell us that story? Sure. Fairy Godboss and that whole idea of it was born when I happened to be interviewing while two months pregnant. I walked into work one day and at the time was an executive at a major publishing company and had a very bad day at work because I found out my CEO and my manager was just fired. In the next two weeks that followed, there was a management shakeup, and I was also fired. And while it's never nice to be fired, it was a particularly awkward time for me because at two months pregnant, you're not showing and you don't 
necessarily have broadcast that news to anyone. Right. So I was going on these job interviews wanting to ask about maternity leave policies, how many women were in senior management, and what the culture was like for working moms, but just didn't feel like I could ask those questions head on without looking like I was less than fully committed to my career. Well, that kind of discrimination is so real. We were just talking a few episodes ago in honor of Equal Pay Day about how pay discrimination amongst women with children is so much more dramatic than the pay discrepancy between childless or child-free women and child-free men. So it seems like there's a very real risk in disclosing pregnancy in the interview. What do you advise women to do in that particular situation? Well, my advice is still going to tend to be conservative, and this may be because I've worked in quite traditional male-dominated industries for a lot of my career, law and finance, but I wouldn't talk about my family if it doesn't come up. And that's, that's, a pers- that's a very personal choice, but it's advice that I often give people because I don't think it's relevant for the most part to the job duties and and roles and responsibilities you're expected to perform. If you have a very specific situation where you have more than normal caretaking demands that require different hours or very specific accommodations, then you have no choice but to bring it up. But even in those cases, I would advise women not to bring it up until they absolutely have to, possibly even after the job offer has been extended. I think that's sound advice that I completely agree with. I wrote in my Forbes leadership column last year that when it comes to disclosing kids or mentioning your kids in the interview, if you really look at the research on the books around this issue, if you're a woman, pretty much all of the data on this advises women not to do that because you're more likely to remind a prospective employer of the roles that you play outside of work. And maybe lead them to draw those unfortunate and inaccurate assumptions about mothers being less or more committed to work because of their childcare obligations. But if you are a man, the research actually shows that most men with children get what's called the daddy bonus, this idea that, you know, men with children and families need to bring home the bacon. So you might actually get a higher offer if you mention the kids in the interview while male. So do you think that stereotypical gender roles are really to blame when it comes to this kind of a conundrum that women find themselves in? I do think that social norms have evolved, but that we still have these gender stereotypes based on the 1950s style family, you know, where there's a male husband, female wife, and they have 2.5 children and live in a, in a house with a white picket fence, even though that's not many people's realities. In fact, I believe the latest research says that 44% of American households with children under the age of 18 have women as their primary breadwinner. So that is a statistic that's almost 50-50, 44% of American households with children. But it's, it's far from this 1950s image that people still have in their minds. And I think it's because it takes a long time for our stereotypes to sort of match up with reality. So in other words, it's time that women get the daddy bonus too. <laughs> That's right. And maybe if you have to disclose that you're, you have children and you are the breadwinner, it's worth pointing that out. That's a good point. Maybe that can help in your negotiations. So how did things turn out for you after interviewing while two months pregnant? What did you decide to do and, and what did you learn through that experience? 
Well, because I was not able to feel comfortable asking the questions I had directly to employers, I turned to my personal network for answers. And when I ran out of people I knew at companies, I turned to this project, which at the time I just considered a project, which was uh, to see whether women would share this information with each other about companies. And when I saw that women were sharing such great information with each other, and it wasn't just a place where women were coming to vent as disgruntled ex-employees, I got together with my co-founder and we decided that there was a real business opportunity and we officially started the company. And that was back in 2015. Can you tell us a little bit about how Fairy God Boss has grown and, and sort of what has become your niche in terms of helping women navigating career transition? Well, we reached over a million women a month now on our website. So we've grown a lot. We have more than 50 corporate customers, and these customers basically list jobs with us and are on our site because they're very committed to gender diversity and gender equality, and they're trying actively to recruit more women. This makes me very happy because our social mission is to improve the workplace for women, and when you have companies sharing information with each other, with, with women in the community, and you have women sharing with other women, you've essentially created this peer pressure to do better by women. And so I think our niche is, you know, originally it started out as me being a new mom looking for information that new moms care about. But I've realized that there's women in all stages of their career that need information of different kinds. So sometimes it's older, more senior women who are for places that will support their career and they have older children or no children. And it's really surprised me that, in some ways, the site is much more useful to women who are sort of more senior in their careers because they feel more isolated and there's just fewer of them. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. And one that brings me back to Leslie's question, because it sounds to me that since she's interviewing post baby break, for lack of a better term, right? She's taken time off. She's had her child. Now she's interviewing not pregnant, not necessarily concerned about work-life balance, but more so trying to figure out how to explain a gap in her resume, something that I know a lot of women who are more senior in their careers also come to me through Bossed Up saying, listen, how do I explain that I took time off, especially when it has to do with being a primary caregiver for a loved one, for a child, for a parent. What is the best advice that you've seen in terms of how women can walk into that interview really focused on the value they bring to the table and have a good way of explaining such a leave of absence? I think if you're not comfortable with explaining a leave of absence by reference to taking care of somebody or a baby, then I think the best thing to do is to focus on the fact that you wanted to explore another career path. It depends sort of on how long that career break is. I think if it's very long, you may have little choice but to elaborate on exactly what happened. But if it's just, you know, three to six months, a lot of people take that time off to just sort of travel or to consider new opportunities and to take a break. And I don't think that there's as much stigma about that as there used to be. I agree completely. I think, you know, telling that story in a compelling way is such a hard thing to practice, but something that a little bit of role playing can do wonders for in advance of a tough interview, right? Like having a one-liner about how to explain away that time that you've spent doing other things. Like, you know, I was exploring a different career transition, 
or I was exploring my my opportunities during this time and bring the conversation right back to why you're a perfect fit for this position, focusing on those transferable skills. But, you know, without practice, it's so easy to get tongue-tied. Yeah, and expecting the question and knowing that you don't want to focus on the care giving is key, I think. You're not lying. You're just not emphasizing the time you spent in such a personal way as opposed to saying things like, I was going on a lot of informational interviews. I was looking, taking some online classes in the new area and using these new skills that I was learning to supplement my prior experiences. And I agree, practice makes perfect. You know, this is the kind of conversation that always leaves me feeling a bit of an ethical conundrum myself, because all of the research points to these pieces of advice as totally warranted. But at the same time, I'm sitting here smiling a little bit thinking, man, we should not have to hide caregiving, (laughs) right? I know. We shouldn't have to not mention our roles as mothers, daughters, aunties, godmothers for fear of retribution. So what do you say to the woman who says, you know what? I am proud of being a mother. I am looking to push the world forward and make sure that people know that moms can be committed workers too. So I'm not going to hide that in my interview. Like, what do you say to the women who push back on this case saying that we're playing into the status quo instead of pushing for progress? I absolutely respect that. I think in many cases, if you know that you don't want to work somewhere where someone's going to judge you by your caretaking responsibilities and needs, then in many ways, it's smarter to just be honest and and bring it up right away. I think the advice that I was giving as a default sort of assumes that the person is really worried about that discrimination and that bias impacting their outcome. But if the person is much more concerned about not just any outcome or getting a specific job, but just finding the right job for them in the longer term, then I think it's perfectly fine to be honest and, and forthright. And I think I've interviewed women who told me right off the bat that they're planning on starting a family soon, or they asked directly about paternity leave. I recognize I run a company that's for women <laughs> by women. Right. So they might feel more comfortable doing it. But I can imagine that in many cases, you just talk about these things directly because they're more concerned about finding a really good fit for them. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It almost plays into knowing your specific needs, short-term and long-term, right? If you are facing financial ruin and need a job, do whatever it takes, right? There's no shame in playing the game and highlighting your skills and maybe not so highlighting anything that might trigger discrimination. There's nothing invalid about that. But if you are looking, like you say, for a longer-term good life fit, maybe being transparent is another perfectly valid option. This is something we debate constantly (laughs) in the Bossed Up community. And it reminds me, actually, of one of our former interview guests we had a couple weeks ago on. Her name's Taronda Thomas, and she was moving from Virginia to Denver, Colorado here, where she anchors the Nine News on the weekend morning news here. And she said, when I was making this transition, I knew that the only thing I would be willing to go back to work for as opposed to staying at home for a more prolonged period of time with my young children, had to be the perfect fit. So I went in with a long laundry list of demands. And she was unapologetic about it. And fortunately, they valued her skills and expertise, and they made the right call, in my opinion, and hired her. But it does feel like a risky proposition, doesn't it? Yes, but 
everyone has to know themselves. And I think it's not just whether you're desperate financially, but also it comes down to a level of confidence that's hard to ascertain in the generic question. As you, as I'm sure you've met many people with different levels of confidence, sometimes it's not about what you say, but how you say it. And I believe that sometimes you can sort of disarm or sort of um, lessen the impact of potential bias by just addressing it head on. So, for example, you could say, you know, I took six months off because I had a new baby. And you might be surprised, but I found out that staying at home really wasn't for me or my personality. I spent 10 years building a career and there are many things about staying at home and caretaking that frankly, I don't enjoy very much. I mean, I don't know if someone wants to go into sure. that because they might look like they might encounter a different kind of bias, which women face, which is that they have to be quote unquote, I feel mothers as well. Right. <laughs> I feel workers. <laughs> But if you say things in a certain way, sometimes I think you'd be surprised at how it could be received, especially if you just try to disarm your interviewer with a more than typically provided like level of disclosure about your situation. That's such an interesting take on this conundrum. And I'm curious to hear from Leslie, our listener, on how this goes for you, Leslie, as you enter the interview process. And I think your point, Georgine, is well taken, which is own your power, practice confident communication. Where can women practice those skills or what have you found to be helpful in terms of preparing for really any interview process? I think of it as a lot like giving a speech, even though an interview is a conversation, a two-way dialogue. There's the listening part, but the parts that you can rehearse, I think, just rehearse them. You can stand in front of a mirror and, and say these things. You can say them to your friends, to your family, if you don't want to just talk to a mirror. But I think there's lots of lines that don't require a ton of preparation, but can really matter in terms of delivery. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, being succinct. I think communicating things in, in a repetitive way so that messages aren't lost when someone's sort of distracted, which we we all are these days with our devices and everything else, is important. I found that repetition is actually quite an important thing. If someone says something two or three times during an interview of 30 minutes, you remember that. Yeah. That's such a great point because I hear often from women who I coach and do a lot of workshops on negotiation. And I say, when you're negotiating, you better remind them as to why they gave you the offer to begin with, right? Go ahead and list your strengths. Go ahead and remind them of why you're the perfect fit for this job before you ask for more. And sometimes women feel like that's redundant, but a little redundancy can go a long way is what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, no matter what you think of Donald Trump, he certainly gets his message across by repeating himself quite a lot. (laughs) That is true. The subject of a much longer different podcast for sure, but (laughs) that's a great point. Now, our listener, Leslie, like you, is a mother looking to become more of a working mother, right? Get back in the workforce in New York City of all places. Now, this is a place where you've really sunk your teeth in and have started a family. And, And congratulations, by the way, on the arrival of your third latest little one this past December. Thank you. What is it like being a working mom in the center of the universe, the Big Apple? Well, it's expensive here. So that's one thing that I think any new mother in New York City realizes right away. 
it's competitive to get into good daycares. It can be hard to find the right nanny depending on your situation. And so I think it makes sense for working moms in New York City in particular to be very thoughtful about their careers because it's only worth it financially if you can cover the cost of your daycare and then some. I would also say that, you know, in some ways it's great if you live within the city boundaries because commute time can really be a big factor when you have young children. You don't want to be spending hours on a train going to the suburbs if you can help it. Some parents have no choice, but if you live in the city, one of the great things about it is the transportation network here. And then the subject of another podcast or several is the, are the educational options in New York City, which are very rich and and a whole a whole different topic. Sure, sure. But it's interesting to think about major metropolitan moms, especially in New York, the bar for finding the right career fit is pretty high. So I've got two final questions for you. One is, what can partners do to support working moms, especially working moms navigating career transition? And the second part of the question is, what can companies do? Considering all that we just discussed, how can men or the loved ones and partners of these working women and their employers do better and do more? I think partners for women are very important because they shoulder so much of the work at home. And if you have a partner that values your career and supports you in your career, they will naturally take on more of the housework and the administrative work that so often falls on women. And in this way, make it more likely that women will succeed in the workplace. In terms of employers, I think not making assumptions about what women want is very important, although that's a very difficult to formalize policy. Some companies take on training and try to educate their employees about unconscious bias, but the, the research on it is unfortunately a bit mixed. Knowing about the fact that you have unconscious biases doesn't mean that you will automatically get rid of them. So I think having proactive steps to measure and promote more women in your ranks is a huge step that most companies don't take but could take. They can evaluate whether they're paying men and women equally uh, along the same responsibility and roles and title sets. That will also help women who are caregivers at home make sure that they're getting the most out of themselves when they're not at home. And I think equal pay and promotions are the two things that women cite as issues when they say that their companies don't treat them fairly or equally to men. So if they can focus on these two issues, then I think the workplace will get a lot better for women. Absolutely. I think it sounds like a good vision for the future. And where can folks, including women who are navigating career transition and want to know more about how their prospective employers stack up in terms of issues of importance to women in particular, where can we learn more about Fairy God Boss and you and your work? Well, our website and our name is pretty unique, so anyone can find us very easily, fairygodboss.com, and we would love for all women to join our community so that we can all lift each other up and help make the workplace better. And now it's time for this week's listener-submitted Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, my name is Christine. I have dyslexia and ADHD, and anyways, I finished my first book 
maybe since like uh, grade school and right now I'm in college uh, and I posted about it to my social media and actually got a couple people who I didn't know were dyslexic to say that was really inspiring and that they're going to try audiobooks and that was really cool. And I felt really happy that one, that I accomplished this through like my hatred of books and then as well, I'm really excited to read more and like learn different things. We are cheering you on, boss. Get it. I'm so proud of the ways in which you are hustling and inspiring people as you go. And if you've got a boss moves moment that you want to share on the podcast or a career conundrum you want us to tackle next, leave me a voicemail right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Otherwise, you can find all of the show notes for today's episode, including links to learn more about Fairy Godboss at bossedup.org slash episode 18. And if you are ready to navigate career transition like a boss and want to walk through our signature program, Bossed Up Bootcamp, with yours truly, we are one month out from our next Bossed Up Bootcamp in Chicago. I am so excited to be bringing our flagship program to the Windy City on the weekend of June 16 and 17. To learn more and register now to join us, head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp. Until then, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose, and together we'll continue to lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.